morning. I say good morning. Good morning, everybody. We're so happy. Are you smiling at me? I thought so. I'm smiling at you. You can't see it. We are so glad to be back together with everybody. We are so glad to be able to worship again together. We invite you to participate, to sing whatever note you hear. You don't have to be a good singer. Your only qualification is what? Breath. Breath. If you are breathing, you qualify. Because the Lord wants to hear whatever sound you make. And the wonderful thing about that is we don't all have to experience him the same way. But we all get to experience him. So I'm satisfied. So we're going to sing ourselves happy today. We're going to be happy in Jesus because we made it to springtime and it's sunny and it's warm. And I didn't have to wear my long johns today. So I thank him. I thank him. He's the God of everything wonderful that we could ever even imagine. He is the God of that. He's the God of it. We're going to sing two songs this morning. One says he turns graves into gardens. That means he can make ugly things beautiful. Those unfavorable things. He can, he can turn them around and make them unrecognizable in a wonderful way. And the other song says, believe for it. So we're going to mash them together and say, believe for your grave to be turned into a garden. Because he can do that. He can do it. So let's, let's go on on in. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. And you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless your name, Jesus. I'm not afraid. Show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place. Your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing. 
You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. And you're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can, the only one who can, you're the only one who can. Oh, there's nothing better than you, there's nothing, nothing is better than you. You turn seas into 
a loving God, a God that cares for us. He cares about you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name, Father. You are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They say this mountain can't be moved. They say the chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard that there is no way The tide will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe, God, we believe for it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We know that hope is never lost. For there is still an empty grave. God, we believe no matter what. There is power in your name. So much power in your Move the immovable, 
telling us the truth. Isn't that what Pastor Carl taught us? Yes. He was telling the truth. Yes. So we're going to tell God you said it. So I believe it. Just yes. because you said it. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. It is done. You said I Say 
Hallelujah. Father, we love you, Jesus. Jesus, we believe your word. We believe you said it, and that settles it. That the power of sin is destroyed, Lord God. The wrath of God has been satiated by the gift of your grace on the cross, Father. We believe that there's not a way you cannot make, not an obstacle you cannot move, not a sickness you cannot heal, not an addiction that you cannot shatter, not a doubt that you cannot erase, Father. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, you said it is done. It is finished, and we believe it. Father, I pray today that we may be like the Father who came to you and said, Daddy, help me in my unbelief. Yes, Jesus, help me in my unbelief. Today, Lord, we believe that you are able. We believe that you're the King of Kings. We believe you're the healer. Yes, we believe yes, that you are Lord above all circumstances. Yes, we believe you're the liberator. We believe you're the deliverer. We believe you're the way maker. So, Daddy, today, help us in our unbelief. You are able. The cross and the empty tomb remind us you're able. Last weekend was not the start of a religion. It was the proclamation of heaven that says everything and anything is possible because not even the grave could hold me down. Jesus, come. Be glorified today in our praise. Be glorified today in this place. Today, Lord God, this isn't about hype, it's about hope in you. And so we find our hope in you today. Come, turn, beauty, uh, turn ashes into beauty, graves into gardens, red seas into highways. My King, Jesus, be glorified, be glorified. If he did it before, church, come on, if he did it before, he can do it again. Can I get an amen? If he did it before, he can do it again. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, together we say amen and amen. Come on, give him a shout of praise. My God's worthy this morning. Worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus, we give you glory. Oh, hallelujah. Woo. Man, I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm so glad you walked into this place. You know, what a great, what a great proclamation we just made. It's not really a proclamation about what we believe just kind of willy-nilly. It's a proclamation of what he has already proclaimed. I turn graves into gardens. I turn seas into highways. My God is a deliverer today of things great and small. You know, that's really where, why, why we have hope, isn't it? Because it's not just the big things. Like, I think sometimes we're like, yes, he destroyed hell, but he can't handle this headache. He, oh, yes, he conquered sin, but uh, he actually can't deal with the sadness in my life. And God, God has, I always, people, I've heard people say this so often in my life, God has bigger things. No, 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 no. The reason that he came was because of you. He loved you. Every inch of you. The good, the bad, the ugly, he loved every inch of you. And so your hell and your headache matter to God. Your sin and your sadness matter to God. 
That may not be the Jesus that you are familiar with, but that is the Jesus who he is. And it's the Jesus we want to introduce you to today. Because in the midst of all of this beauty and all of this worship, the truth is that church is really about putting our focus on Jesus and realizing who he is. Not who we say he is, come on, who he is. And I am really so glad that you came today. Danielle and I are so overwhelmed that you're here. We know there's a thousand other places today that you could be, especially in the midst of, uh, or in the midst or in the aftermath of the pandemic where we could just be at home and online where so many are this morning. We love you, we wanna give you a shout out to everybody who's at home or in the hospital watching today. We know we have so many on vacation, Easter vacation, come on. Uh, it's just great, but there's something about being in the house. And you've positioned yourself today for a breakthrough with God. And I'm excited to be a part of that with you. Here at Connect, we wanna help you be part of a family. So if this is your first or second time here, welcome. Thank you for coming and being a guest this morning. We hope that you consider making Connect your home. But we really do mean it's family. So why don't you, before you're being seated, take two or three minutes just to give someone next to you an air high five maybe or a fist pump. Just get to know someone. Just take a moment to say hello and tell them you're glad they're here. Shay, that was beautiful. I love, there's just something, can I just say before we even hop in further today, I, 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 I am so privileged that we get to do worship together. And, you know, we, we, uh, we you know, Danielle and I know what it's like to do worship with just a cappella, with, with just, a, just a guitar, right, with full bands, with lights and fog, and so we know how to do, like, we've done it all in the midst of all of it. The privilege is not the style of worship we do. The privilege is that we get to worship our God together. And that the Bible says he comes and dances. What a God we've got. You know, some of, I think sometimes we think of God as being like this old stingy stodger in heaven. Well, there they are, worshiping. That one didn't raise his hands high enough. I'm not very happy about that. Dude, we got a God that break dances with us when we worship. Like, he's like, I'm in. Like, what a God we have. I love, that's how much he wants to be with you. It, it, it reminds me of David, when David is dancing before the Lord. If you know this story, David is dancing before the ark of the Lord, and he's dancing out there basically. Uh, he, he's only in a tunic, I mean, in, in like his, his drawers. And so he's out there dancing, and his wife's like, excuse me, that's undignified. And he's like, oh, you think this is undignified? Watch this. I love it. And it's not about, ain't, ain't nobody wanted to see nobody worship in their drawers. I ain't saying that. What I'm saying, though, is this. There's a God that says, I want to, I, I'm, I'm willing to break all of your traditions to be with you in worship. I just want to, I don't, I don't care. I ain't going to let anything hold me back. I love you that much. I want to challenge you maybe this week to throw on some worship, maybe in the privacy of your home, 
and get a little undignified. Get a little undignified in your worship. See what happens. Ooh, I just scared somebody. Be a little undignified in your car. People always look back. I'm, I'm driving sometimes. I got worship on. I'm worshiping in the car. People drive by me like, that dude's crazy. You know when people speed up past you, right? 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 And they give you the side eye look like, mm, like that. They think you're crazy, right? I just, why not? Why not get a little undignified for Jesus? Well, I'm so excited that you guys are here today. Just before we hop into the word, um, I want to just encourage you. There's a couple things coming up that I want to invite you to be a part of. Firstly, I know many of you have expressed a desire to be baptized. Uh, and because of the pandemic over the year and a half or so, we were unable to do that. But on, on May 22nd, just coming up in just a few Sundays, we will be having baptism here in service. We're going to be doing it in service. So uh, you can register for that on, on uh, our Linktree site. And uh, just, just don't wait. Don't wait. Look, there's something. That was good. There's something powerful about the water to steal, like Carrie Underwoods, right? There's something in the water. It's not magical, but it is mystical. Um, there's just something powerful about it. Uh, so if you've never been baptized, or maybe you were baptized as a child out of the faith of your parents, I applaud that. But can I encourage you to actually make a proclamation of your own faith? And, uh, and just come. And we're, we're going to dunk you. I promise you I won't hold you under very long. Some of you need to be held under longer than others. Come on, somebody. Oh, it's all good. Uh, one last thing before we hop on in. Uh, we have a, a ministry here at church called Thy Kingdom Crumb. It's a mobile food truck ministry that we do in partnership with uh, Carson One's A1 Foundation. Yesterday, uh, we gave away uh, 500 meals uh, to people in our community, uh, and we do it all the time. Many of you are part of that ministry. Uh, in various ways have supported it. We do have, we need in this time because stuff is much more difficult to come by, which means it's much more expensive to receive. We don't receive all of our food for free, even though we give it away for free. We don't supply all of our, we don't get all of our supplies for free, although we give it away for free. So we have to do some fundraising to be able to do that. And on March 15th, we have a silent auction coming up um, that we're asking you to prayerfully uh, participate in, in a number of ways. You can participate by telling your friends about it, um, by, you can participate by, by coming on the site and uh, uh, bidding on something. We've got all sorts of fun stuff that's going to be on there in a variety of ways. You also, if you feel comfortable, uh, can go to your, uh, so, some of your local facilities, your local, um, what, what's the word, like stores, businesses, and see if they'll donate something. Um, because every little thing matters. You know, Danielle and I say this all the time. Um, when it comes to TKC, for us, every donation has a face on it. Because the need in our area has not decreased. People pulling up to get food hasn't decreased. Um, and that means every dollar has a face. Every dollar matters. So when you give into TKC, it makes a real difference. I mean, like, if you would stand out there and hear the stories of moms and dads, a lot of single parents, a lot of people who are struggling in, their, in this world, you would understand that for them, your, you giving up your $5 Starbucks drink on a Tuesday actually gives their family a meal probably for a couple days. And that's the only food they get. And that's what we're about. 
If you really want to know what Connect Church is about, it's about Jesus and making his love known in a real way. We've got great theology, we've got great preaching, all that kind of fun stuff, but you want to know what this is about? How can I help people know who Jesus is and actually make that love known to people who don't know him? So that's what it's all about. So you guys ready for the word today? I'm ready because it's, it's like the Sunday after Easter. Like I, like, I get excited about Easter, but it doesn't go away like the next Sunday. So I still got a tigger spirit. Come on, somebody. I'm a little bouncy-pouncy. I hope you are, too, this morning. If not, I'm going to wake you up a little bit. Come on, we're going to get some spiritual caffeine this morning. So if you, since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to the book of Luke, the book of Luke. Luke is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's written by Luke, who's the, a disciple of Jesus. He's a doctor. He's a phenomenal historian, a great writer. And we're going to pick up kind of where the story left off last week, because a lot of times after Easter, uh, we, we miss all of what happens in the rest of that story, which is so powerful. And if you need a title for today's message... It's simply, this ain't no walkabout. This ain't no walkabout. I I love Australia. I've been there many times. I have a lot of good friends who are Australian. And, you know, they have this saying, they're going to go on a walkabout. They're just going to go on. There's no plan. There's no destination. There's no intention behind the walkabout. They're just going for a journey. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not purposed. And I think when it comes to understanding what Jesus has called us to in the kingdom, when he says, come and follow me and be my disciple, I don't see him meaning just kind of an unintentional, uh, let, let the dice roll, let's see where we end up type of moment in our lives. I believe he is inviting us into a much more intentional, purposed journey and walk with him than we've ever had before. Matter of fact, that's what we're going to see in this scripture. What we're going to see in this text is that Jesus is reinforcing in this new, in this new moment after the resurrection something different in his disciples. Yeah. Up until this point, can we agree that his disciples had followed him in a very natural way? I mean, literally, when he says, come follow me, they got up and walked after him in the natural. So for three years, they had followed him in the natural. But now there's a transition because Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. He's going to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is no longer simply the Messiah, the Savior. He is now the risen King. There's a transitional moment that needs to take place. And for just like you and I, they are being invited into following him in a much more supernatural, spiritual way. In a way they've never followed him before. Let me say this. It doesn't make what they did before wrong. It means that Jesus is trying to take them into a different life they've never known. Like the last was good. Come on, somebody. But, but now they have an aspect of life as him being the king on the throne that opens up a world that they never knew possible. And I believe, church, that that's what Jesus is inviting us into today. In this post-resurrection Sunday moment, I believe he's opening up and inviting us into a journey, an intentional walk with him. That's supernatural in the way that we see things. It's not the same old, same old. I'm not saying the way that we walked with God before was wrong, no matter where we've walked with him and how liturgically it was done. But I know this, that Jesus 
is leading and walking and coming to us from a supernatural perspective. And it's great to know him as Savior, but there's something powerful about walking with him as Lord. And that's where he's calling us to, I think, as a church and as people. Let's look at this text together. We're going to see it, I believe. Verse 13 says this, that very day, talking about the Resurrection Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, which means hot springs, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with one another about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Can you just underline that, highlight that? That is the crux of everything. Do you hear what Jesus drew near to them and he walked with them? That is God's desire to be with you. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he said, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? I'm going to stop for a moment. Tradition tells us that Cleopas was Jesus' uncle. He's Joseph's, Joseph's his father's brother. And, and, and did you catch what's going on here? He says, um, Dude, are you new here? Are you new around these parts, Jesus? Because don't you know what happened? We, we, we were hoping that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, but, but, but then all these things that we weren't expecting happened, and then, and then they killed him, and, and he died. And I know there's some people that said he, he may have been raised from the dead, but I just don't know. I don't know about that. I, I, I just don't know all about that. Seems a little too unreal for me. By the way, how many of us know that sometimes family's not the best guide? Come on, somebody. Somebody say, somebody has to say amen to that. That's a totally different sermon for a different day. But look at verse 27. Look at Jesus' response to the, yeah, but I don't know about all this. Cool. And from the beginning, starting with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things Concerning himself. No rebuke. No anger. No, I can't believe it. How dare you rebuke me? None of that. Hey, let me tell you who I am. You've just missed it. Let me tell you. I think the first thing I want to say before we even dive deeper. Let me just say how, how much I love who Jesus shows himself to be in this moment. Come on, he had just conquered death in the grave, right? He's the mighty conqueror, the mighty warrior. And that's how so often we relate to him as the mighty warrior, and that is who he is. But did you see what the scripture says? It says, in their journey, he drew near to them, and he walked with them together. How easy is it for us in this moment to miss the heartbeat of God towards you and I, that in the midst of being the mighty warrior, the mighty conqueror, he still wants to be the intimate companion. He doesn't want to be a religious leader, a, phil a, 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 a philanthropic philosopher. Jesus wants to be your intimate companion. And that's the challenge that I think I want to put in front of us in this season of life. Moving Jesus into that place of intimate companion. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's obstacles to that intimacy, isn't there? There's obstacles to intimacy. 
The issue is, right away, they were trying to uh, figure out the happenings of life without the word of life. I think there's a lot of times in our world that we're trying to figure out the happening of life, the happenstance, the circumstance of life, without understanding the word of life. Not just the scripture about life, but the word of life who is Jesus. That's where we're missing the boat. Come on. This was their plan. I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to take a walk and figure it out. That was their plan. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to figure it out. They're chatting away with each other. The problem isn't that we take a walk or have a chat. The problem was that they did not have the proper context for that discussion. The proper context. They had a cultural context. They understood what the world around them thought had happened. They understood that the world thought that Jesus was a rebel who deserved to die. They understood the culture of the religious view community. What they said, some believed a miracle, some didn't. Some were happy he was gone, some were sad. They may even had a little charismatic thrown in there because there were people seeing angels. Woohoo! They understood their cultural context for what they were talking about, but they still did not have a kingdom context for it. They didn't know the king in his context. They knew a dead Messiah, not a risen Lord. They knew, come on, we in our world are very familiar with a a suffering Savior who died for us, who is still hanging on the cross. But are we familiar with the king in his context? Because when we start seeing the king in his context... Everything else begins to change. In the absence of the king being in his context, we are left with our cultural context being the rubric. Come on, Jacob. That's a good word right there. That's my my son's word. The rule for how we begin to understand the happenings in our life. That's the only thing we're left with. And because all of our culture is different, how we then see life is different. That's why we can easily say when it comes to things like healing or the supernatural, well, Pastor, you don't understand. It's not really in my cultural context. I've really never experienced, I don't know anybody who's experienced, my grandma's grandma never experienced it, so I don't experience, I don't know about the uh, worshiping because it's not really like that in in my religious context. And we bring everything down to that level rather than up to his level. But when we begin to understand who he is as the king, he's not just the healer, he is healing. He is health, he is wholeness, he is abundance. Because if we don't see him as abundance, come on somebody, we will add our cultural context to what abundance is, and that begins to have dollar signs, that begins to have Rolex watches, that begins to have houses at the beach, that begins to have uh, uh, promotions that God is not calling us to. But when we see the king in his context, we begin to see life differently. We understand that's the struggle we're having sometimes when we get disappointed with God. Because we are looking through our happenstance and our circumstance through a cultural context. And that's the trap of believing something rather than being a disciple of someone. It's the trap especially in our modern world of social connectivity. We gather people around us, and they don't know. They're just trying to figure it out just like we are, even though many of them will tell you they know, but they don't. 
Come on, our road to Emmaus doesn't have one other dude with us. We've got a plethora of people. We have, we've got a block party on our road to Emmaus. Right? And we're listening to all these voices trying to figure it out. And do you know what we're left with at the end of it? Our cultural context becomes strengthened in the way that we see our circumstance. And then we tag that as faith. Because there's, look at all the people who are agreeing with me. If people agree with me, it must be truth. Truth, therefore, must be faith. But it lacks the power of spiritual transformation. That's why they still, it said they still were sad. They had seen the cross. Oh, you've come to the cross. They had experienced the empty tomb. Maybe you did too last week. But they were still sad. Because the way they were viewing life was not from the king in his context, but was from the context of their culture. And the trap is, my friends, the trap is, please hear my heart on this, the trap is, when we find ourselves in this situation, we will settle for just being on the journey rather than being transformed by Jesus. Well, I, I, look, we're, we're like, I'm, just, I'm just on a journey. Look, we're all on a journey, and we need to be on a journey, but there's a destination to my journey. My journey's not just a journey. My journey has a destination, to know the king in his context, to know him in the fullness thereof, and for him to know me with everything I've got. There's an old saying that when you have no destination in mind, any place can become a celebration. Hey, look, we showed up today. Woohoo! No, I don't mean here. I mean just in general. Daniel and I were watching a video the other day of, a fr- of, of someone we think is funny. Um, he's uh, in his late 30s, and he was talking about how a friend had uh, sent him, text him a picture of Coachella. And he's like, dude, next year, you and me, we got to be there. And he's like, no, we don't. You crazy? Like, I can't survive two days at a music festival, let alone nine. I have a two-hour routine before I go to bed. You want me to spend 10 days in a tent in the desert? I'll be shriveled up like a prune. You'll be calling the ambulance to come in the middle of nowhere to get me for heat stroke. See, here's the truth. When we don't really know someone, anything is, anything's a possibility. When we really don't know someone, anything becomes a possibility. I can tell you straight up, don't ever call me to go diving with you with sharks. Like, if you're like, hey, dude, got a good idea, let's go dive with sharks, don't bother to call. Flat out, no. Hey, pastor, pastor, are we ever going to handle snakes in our church? No. Flat, no. Don't need to send the text, the email, the call. If you know me, ain't going to happen. But when we don't know Jesus, anything's a possibility. When we don't know him. Him, not our theology, not our denominational tradition, not our cultural religious context. When we don't know him, anything becomes the possibility. I think what's interesting to me is that they had everything they needed for the breakthrough. They had an empty tomb. They had people who who were surrounding them in the upper room. Many who had already started the transformation of believing, hearing, witnessing who Jesus was. Do you know what they did? They left to go figure it out on their own. And where were they going? Emmaus. There were no answers in Emmaus. There was no church in Emmaus. There was no apostolic presence in Emmaus. They were just trying to figure it out. 
And when we try to figure out our life as a disciple through the lens of cultural context, it will, it will, mark it down, it will create a walkabout spirit in you where I'm just on the journey. I'm just going, and our soul will support that because our soul wants to wander away from God anyway. Our soul doesn't want the things of God. So man, if it can get any excuse to wander, it's wandering. It's like you, t- you let the dog off the leash, come on somebody, it's running. We become, where we'll, we'll find ourselves in danger of being like the Galatians, the church of Galatia, in Galatians 3.1, when Paul has to write to them, look, you've done all these really good things, you're a really cool church, you're great people, but oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell? It's actually what this means. Who has cast a spell so that you believe in illusion? What illusion were they believing? Because someone from a religious context had come in and said this, that grace isn't enough. You've got to work. You've got to work. You've got to work. You've got to work. And they said, oh my gosh, you've got to work. And in this process, the reality is, my friends, belief will easily be persuaded by our soul and reinforced by our culture that there must be more than just Jesus. There's got to be more than just Jesus. So what we do is we spend time and energy and resources like these guys walking out a journey, looking for the answer, come on, rather than knowing the truth. That's the, that's the challenge in all of this. But discipleship is founded in the presence of Jesus being central. It is he who creates the context by which we understand the happenings of life. Him. He creates the context. How is he present as the king in this moment? Not just what would the Savior do, how does the king respond? Because he is Savior, but he's also the risen Lord. The truth is, when we look at this text, Jesus draws near so that he can reveal himself to them. And reveal himself to them together. Because discipleship is about God, Jesus revealing himself to us, but also Jesus revealing himself to us through each other, with each other. There's no, you've heard me say it a thousand times. In the Bible, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. He did not roll up to one. He rolled up to two. There's a reason he rolled up to two and not one. Because we, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen each other as we live this thing out together. When we allow him to actually begin to break down our misconceptions, our preconceived ideas, our cultural misunderstandings. How did he do that? And how does he do that? He revealed himself to them in the word. He didn't just reveal the word to them. He revealed himself in the word. He revealed himself as the king. He gave kingdom context. He put the king in the context of their life. I think the challenge for us, if you look at this verse, did you notice that they were familiar with the scriptures that they thought would be beneficial to them? Cleopas said, we had hoped all these things. Because of the scriptures we read, we had hoped all these things. But their expectations were of what Jesus should do, not of who Jesus should be. And we've got to realize that that influences us as well. 
Do you realize that in our modern capitalistic society, our brains are actually trained to look at someone and immediately begin to determine the benefit they have to us? Immediately. You are immediately, when you first meet somebody, you are doing a value proposition of them in your life. Sociologists tell us it is the first filter that we use when we have an introduction to someone is that we are immediately beginning to determine how beneficial they can be to us in our life. And then we fit them into those categories according to our value proposition. Now, over time, sometimes those positions shift because they're not who they say they are or maybe you're not who you say you are or, or all those things. But that's how we first do this thing. That's why when we, first, when we meet a celebrity in our world, the first question when you meet a celebrity is not, how can I bless that celebrity? It's, I wonder if they'll give me a selfie. Why? Because that selfie will give me street cred. Come on, I'll pop that up there, and people are like, oh my gosh, you got to meet them? How did you get to meet them? I mean, it's so cool. I got to know the story. What were they really like? Was it really good? And you're going to have this long, come on, somebody. You are looking at them through how their life could benefit you. That is trained inside of us. That doesn't stop with individuals. It translates with how we see scripture, how we see church, how we see discipleship, even how we look at Jesus. We begin to do a value proposition on all those things and then fit those things into the category based off of how we believe those things will benefit us, not how will they benefit him. Discipleship is not about how it benefits us. It's about how our lives can benefit him. It's, I'm going to say it again because it's counter to everything we've been taught and believed. Discipleship is not positioned out of how can this benefit us. It will because my God is awesome. But it's about how does it benefit him. Worship this morning was not whether or not we preferred it. It's whether or not he preferred it. It's not what we're comfortable with. It's how comfortable can we make our king in the midst of us. My presence should make him uncomfortable. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you. Some of you are perfect. Just me being here should make Jesus uncomfortable. I think what's interesting is that Jesus inaugurated a, a kingdom greater than, than, than they even hoped. They wanted the Romans out. He destroyed the grave, hell, death. He overcame the world, the world system. He destroyed the God of this age. Come on. He did far and exceedingly above. Isn't that what God does? Far and exceedingly above what we ask or think. Come on, somebody. But the problem is, the problem is that our expectations are built out of the wrong contextualization, which actually sets us up for disappointment. Because we're looking at it. How can it benefit me? It's not based on a revelation of who he is. The truth is they were familiar with the scriptures that they thought would benefit them. But they weren't, what they weren't familiar with was the Jesus found in those scriptures. And this is the trap of modern Christianity. We are very fond of cherry-picking scriptures. Guilty. Come on, can I get away from anybody who's guilty? Oh, some of y'all are liars, which, by the way, is in the Bible. There we go. It's like we play Bible roulette. Let's see what God wants to say to me today. We open up our Bible. Let me see here. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Those who want to save their life will lose it. Nope, nope, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Two, oh, 
sell everything and give it to the poor. No, sir, that's not what God said. Three, three's the number of Trinity. Three's the number of God. This has to be the right one. Flip it over, put it down. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Hallelujah, that's what God's saying to me today. I knew that's what God was saying. And you could be like, yeah, but pastor, that's worked for me. Of course it does. Because the word is alive and living. But that's not how we do life. That's not intimacy. I don't treat Danielle like that. I don't treat my son like that. It reminds, me of a sh- it reminds me of an episode of a show called Big Bang Theory. It was on TV for a long time, and the eccentric scientist known as Sheldon, he, he didn't want his brain to have to process, spend the energy processing what to eat. So he left it up to a roll of the dice. So he'd like, roll the dice, okay, that's the restaurant, go there, get the menu, roll the dice, I guess that's what I'm going to eat today. And one, t- one day, his roommate Leonard walks in, and he's like, dude, you don't even like that food. He's like, I know, but the dice made me roll it. And he goes, what makes it worse is I want a dessert, and the dice said no. <laughs> what makes that funny is how ludicrous it is. But how often do we do that with the word? With Jesus, with life. We treat it like that. When we come to the word, it's not about what does it say for us, but what does it say about him? In our discipleship, when we're studying the word, are we looking for Jesus in the scriptures? For the revelation of who he is? Come on, my friends. When Moses faces down Pharaoh, Jesus is the snake that eats the other two snakes. He's the snake that swallows the other two snakes. He swallows death and, come on, death and hell. He swallows the curse of Adam and Eve. He actually swallows up sin and Satan. He is the deliverer. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he swallowed up death in victory. He was the rod that became the snake that ate it up. Why? Because he is saying there's not one tool that the enemy can use against you that I am not more powerful than I can swallow up the greatest enemy that comes at you. He was the serpent, bronze serpent, lifted up on the pole in the wilderness after the children of God had been bitten by the venomous snakes. Jesus said in John 3, just like Moses lifted up the serpent, I will be lifted up so that you will not die, but you will live. He's telling me that, listen, I know you're going to get bit by the venom of the serpent. It doesn't matter how much venom you get in you. When I'm lifted up, you will live and will not die. You can trust in my provision for your healing. Come on, church. It was the same rod that became the snake that separated the Red Sea when Pharaoh's armies came closing in. Why? Because he was telling his people, I am the way maker. I am the deliverer. I am the restorer, the redeemer. I will baptize you into me and nothing that comes after you can follow it. When that same rod struck the rock, When the people were thirsty and water came pouring out, he was both the striker and the strike-e because he was the God that poured out the wrath of God on Jesus, the rock. And when the rock was struck on the cross and split open, the living water that was inside of him came gushing out into you and I. Jesus said in John 7, if you're thirsty, you don't have to be quenched. You don't have to be parched. I can quench you with my spirit. Church, you don't have to be afraid of the Holy Ghost. It's what's inside of Jesus. 
When we see him, we see life different. Not theology, not religion, not philosophy. We see life because we see him. When the rod struck the rock the second time, when Moses was just supposed to speak to it and give water, Jesus was saying, I don't need to be struck a second time because the work I've done is complete for all time. You don't have to keep striking me over and over and over and over and over again. My work is done. All you've got to do this time is ask, speak to me. And what's inside of me, I'll give to you. That's who the king is. Oh, but he also says, there are consequences to our disobedience. There may not be eternal. Come on, somebody. It may not be hell, but you may feel like it's hell on earth. Because I discipline those I love. That's who the king is. Oh, the, the Savior died for you, but the, but the king, he carries a rod on purpose. Come on, church. Doesn't diminish grace. It actually, actually elevates it. Because if there's nothing that we've done wrong, nothing that we deserve judgment for, grace has no purpose. He was the rock that Moses sat on when he grew tired and weary in the middle of the battle. Because Jesus wants you to know that you can come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Come to me. He also said, when you're tired and in the midst of it, look up to the hill. Because I was the sign. When Moses and Aaron and her held up my hands on the hill so that we could have victory over the enemy, I want you, Moses, to call this place Jehovah Nissi. The God, the God, the, the, the Lord is my banner of salvation. So when they see this sign on the hill, they will know that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. It's not in knowing a scripture. It's in knowing the one who is the scripture. The living word of Jesus. I think if we're not careful, church, we're going to miss the heartbeat of God. To draw near, to close the gap. They were walking in the wrong direction and he shows up. And I think so often we miss the kindness of his correction because we only see the correction. But Romans 2 4 says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The beauty is this sometimes God has to stop us in our tracks. Because the way we're going is harmful. He stopped them in their tracks. He stopped them. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what's on your heart. What are you talking about? Let me give you clarity on what you should see. He stopped them. It's like a parent telling a teenager, do you remember when you were teens and sometimes you wanted to go down the shore on New Year's Eve to see the fireworks and your parents would stop you and say, wait a minute, just think about it for a moment. Think about how many drunk drivers are going to be out there. Think about how many crazy people are going to be on the road. Think about how long of a stretch of road you got to be on without any lights on it. How long you're going to drive in darkness till you get there. What they're trying to do is get you to stop in your tracks to reevaluate our course. That's what Jesus was doing. And you know what they did? They kept on going. Why? Because they were informed but not transformed by the word. How many times has Jesus stopped us in our tracks, church, 
Stopped us in our tracks through a message, come on, a sermon, a podcast, a scripture, a phone call from a friend, a text before you did something stupid, come on somebody, and we still went after that relationship. We still chasing down that dream. We still went into that club. We still chased after that. Come on. We still ignored that calling that God has put on our life since we were teenagers, and we're still backseating it. The problem is that that doesn't go well. We end up like Cain in Genesis 4, who heard the word of God. God spoke clarity to Cain before he killed Abel. But that word only was information and not transformation, and so he did what he said he'd never do. Because he didn't let him transform his life. My friends, discipleship is allowing the correction of God to redirect the course of our life. To redirect the course of our life. To redirect the course of our life. I'm not talking about everybody going into what people would say full-time ministry. I believe you all are called to be full-time ministers. That's what the word says. It may not be from the stage or the platform. It may not be from the position of pastor or evangelist, but it is certainly from the position of disciple. Verse 28, we're going to close in just a moment. But verse 28 says that Jesus would have kept going, but they took a moment and invited him to stay. Discipleship is actually inviting Jesus into your situation. Not knowing he has something to say about it. Not knowing that he's there with you while you walk. It's actually saying, come on into the situation. Because verse 30 says this. That that invitation led to revelation that brought transformation. Verse 30 says that when he came in, Jesus took bread and broke it. And when he broke it, they, boom! Oh, I know who he is now. Oh, I'm an idiot. How did I miss it? Did our hearts not burn when he was telling all the scripture? Were we not inspired when I heard the message? Was I not on fire on Sunday morning when the word was coming? We heard, oh, but now I see him for who he is. Oh, see, in, in reality, in reality, it was the host that should have broke the bread for the guest. But Jesus very often overrides our cultural traditions in order to transform our current condition. He's like, I'm going to mess things up for you. I'm going to do things you never thought could happen. I'm going to make you laugh when you want to cry. I'm going to bring you joy when you want to curl up in your bed in depression and just go away into the darkness. I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit into your life and I'm going to give you overflowing joy for the moment. I'm going to override your tradition to change your current condition. I think one of the biggest differences between believers and disciples is that believers, for, it's easy for believers to thank Jesus for his teaching, to be encouraged, having learned some inf- new information, and then go on their way. But disciples invite him into the situation. They allow him to change the trajectory of their beliefs, the trajectory of their faith, the trajectory of their life. They went, they went away sad, they left inspired. They went from being filled with pain 
to being filled with purpose. They went from running home to find comfort to running back to the upper room to tell people the good news. I think the danger for us is that sometimes we're like the lame man by the gate called Beautiful when he says to Peter and John, give me some silver or gold. And John and Peter say, silver and gold, I have none, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He was willing to settle for the coin in their pockets rather than the wholeness of their king. Church, American church, please hear me. Men and women who've grown up in this American tradition over the last decades, please hear me. Stop settling for the coin in the pocket when you can have the wholeness of the king. The truth is they brought back the revelation together. I think believers may be thrilled by the expectation, but disciples are moved to carry the revelation. Not to show people that we're good Christians, but to show a struggling world who Jesus really is. Not just someone who loved them enough to die for them, but a king who is coming back and who has authority. Let me say this. He doesn't have just authority in Africa for miracles. I'm going to say it again. He doesn't have just authority in Kenya for, Afri- for, for miracles. He doesn't, he doesn't have just a corner for prayer warriors. Come on. In, 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 in Dr. Cho's church. Come on. In South Korea. He doesn't have just a, a corner of the prophetic. Come on. In the South American community. He has the power for healing and prophecy and miracles and supernatural in America. Not because we're better or different, but because of who he is. My king does not bow to my Congress. He doesn't need a passport or pass a test or get a COVID test to come in. He is not quarantined or shut out. He is actually in the presence of his church every time we gather. Our job as disciples is not to show people that we're good Christians. It's to reveal to a hurting world a risen Savior who can bring health and hope to their life. Do you know how this ends? Do you know how this ends? Do you know how this ends? The Bible says when they got back to the upper room, they brought back, they came back together to church. They came back together. They got changed on the outside and brought the good news inside. They didn't get changed on the inside. They got changed on the outside. Brought the change on the inside. And the Bible says this. As they were talking about what Jesus had said to them, he showed up in the room. Do you know what I want? Every Sunday is for Jesus to show up in the room. For 30 years of ministry, I wanted you to show up in the room. I want Jesus to show up in the room. Don't get me wrong. I want you here. Come on, somebody say amen. I value you here. You're important being here. But the value of church is not how many people are here. It's that he is here. And when you and I will come to this place 
Not looking at scriptures to pick and choose. But realizing the reason we raise our hands and worship isn't because it's a charismatic thing. It's because we stand in the presence of a king. The reason that we fall down, the reason we lift up our voice, the reason that we clap our hands and shout to God with a voice of triumph isn't because we're better Christians or more charismatic or more Pentecostal or more spirit-filled or more mature or we know more of the Bible. It's because the king is here and he's worthy of it all, all of it. I'm done. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just telling you there's a calling on you. He wants to draw near to you. And it's ain't just so you could have a better life. It's because we're the only carriers of a king. That's it. Do you know what they have? Do you know what the world has? Culture. CNN. Fox, New York Times, Washington Post, Facebook, social media, Instagram, their hurt neighbor, their aunt, their aunt Sally who's been divorced 18 times, can't keep a relationship together talking about Jesus. That's what they've got to figure this life out. And you're right, at the end of the time, all knees will bow. And every, he will call, every, every person will call him Jesus. But can I encourage you, don't wait. Let's not bank on that for our cousin, our coworker, our friend. When they brought back Jesus, when, he, when they allowed him to change their trajectory, he changed history. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship even before we take offering. Shayla, come on up. Come on. We, we, we're, we're going to worship. We, we need a worship moment. We need a worship moment. We need a worship moment. We, we, we're going to, we, let's come, come on. We're going to sing Graves the Gardens again. Come on. We're going to sing Graves the Gardens. Because you may have come in thinking about Jesus and, and your happenstance and your circumstance one way. But, man, this is, this is a whole different deal. This is a whole different deal. I'm not talking about a philosophy of a risen king. I'm talking about the presence of one. Will you stand with me really quickly? I'm going to pray over you. Church, there's a transformation that can happen in our lives right here, right now. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. Daddy, put a fire down deep in our soul that we can't contain, we can't control. Daddy, put... Fill us with your Holy Spirit in such a way that it shatters our cultural contextualization of your work. Show us who you are. Speak, Jesus. Speak. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the King of kings and Lord of lords. Isaiah said, I saw, I opened up my eyes and I saw the king high and lifted up. The, the glory of his robe filled the temple. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. There's not one grave he can't turn into a garden right now. 
There's not one sickness he can't turn into a, a, a miracle right now. Not one obstacle. Come on, not one Red Sea he can't part. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. Jesus, come, be praised in the profession of this song. Let it be the profession of our heart in Jesus' name. Oh, there's nothing 
down a miracle. Come on. Sharon, this is the day that the church surrounds you, and we're going to see it in the land of the living. And it's not from people up here. It's from your community, your family. So everybody keeping a safe distance (laughs) from Sharon for COVID purposes, surround her church. Whatever you feel comfortable, but come around her. This is Sharon. Sharon, wave to me. Stage four cancer is nothing. Yes, come on. It is nothing for the Jesus that we heard about today. Literally, the God that we just encountered today doesn't even need to give this a second thought. So why should we? Seriously. You, I know you've had the faith all along. We're just all catching up. You ready, church? Come on. Miracles in Father, we heard today that your son does not just merely bring healing. He is healing itself. So today in this community of faith, in this family of brothers and sisters of Christ, we ask you, Father, to send your son to inhabit Sharon's body so significantly that the healing that you are becomes the healing that her body knows in the name of Jesus. You promised us, you promised us that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst of us. We take you at your word. We know exactly who you are. We know exactly who you are. Yes, you are Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Yes, you are Jehovah Nisi, the banner that is over us. Yes, you are Jehovah Jireh. But Father, you are the greatest physician that this planet has ever encountered. So we call upon you, great physician, to speak health to every cell in her body, to speak life to every molecule in her body. Father, we stand as testimonies that we have testified of you. We have testified of your healing. We have testified of this miracle. We stand as witnesses that surround the beauty of what community is 
It is a community of your voice speaking who you are into the atmosphere. You are our truth. Your word promises us you shall know the truth, capital T. You shall know the truth and the truth, the person of truth shall set you free. So Father, we speak to Sharon's body from the top to the bottom. The truth shall set this body free. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just gonna, I just feel like we're just gonna, listen, church, there's an offering. It would be awesome if you tithed. There it is. Can you throw something up on the screen? There's your things, the things with your phone and your picture and the code. And there's gold things at the door that you can put envelopes in. You got it? Everybody knows what an offering is? Yeah. All right, great. We got it covered. We're going to let church go now, but we're just going to stay here for a minute. If you want to stay for just a moment to just be, then you can be. Father, Jesus. we thank you. There's nothing better than 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 you. So we stay just for one moment, God. And you speak how you wish to speak. And you do what you wish to do. And you change what you wish to change. And you loosen what you wish to loosen. And you heal what you wish to heal. We are your disciples. We are not here to tell you what to do, Father. We are here to receive what you would have us understand about who you are. We don't take this morning lightly. We treat it as holy. We stand on holy ground at this very moment. So, Father, be with this house. Be with these brothers and sisters as they go into the rest of their day and as they go into the rest of their week, God. And give them opportunity, Father, for holy activity. Holy activity, God. We speak holy activity opportunities in this place and in these people's lives this week. Amen. Mm-hmm.